Good morning, and welcome to Journey. Uh, it is a beautiful day outside, isn't it? We don't get a lot of these, uh, but I'm glad you're here today. Inside, we come together to worship, and uh, it's awesome to see you guys. I love Sunday mornings. I love the time we come together. I love our worship. Man, I'm telling you, uh, it was awesome. As a person who doesn't sing well uh, or have any gifts in that way, I, I really admire these people, and I see how God redeems lives and uses us uh, and heals us and restores us and helps us lead others. So that's very exciting. And I'm really glad you're with us today. Uh, I have been looking forward to preaching this message, try to prepare a little bit in advance, a couple of weeks or so, and I've looked forward to this because I think this is something that could really speak to us where we are in our lives and whatever's going on today. We're going to be talking about suffering. And, um, you know, suffering is one of, those, one of those topics that's kind of hard to approach because it's very, very personal. Uh, what I count as suffering might be a minimal thing to you for suffering and I may not even have any idea the depths of your issues whether they're they're health wise whether they're loss grief uh, whether it's financial relational I don't know where you are today uh, but I'm asking that God would speak into your life and whatever is going on and whatever level of suffering you might be uh, I'm glad you're here today to share with us and that and, and if you're not suffering now rejoice uh, pray for those who are and acknowledge that one day suffering will probably come into your life. But have you ever heard anybody say this? Uh, God will never give us more than we can handle. Yeah. Ever heard that? It's a great thought, isn't it? You know, it really is. Let me tell you where they get that notion at. It's in the scripture from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where it says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Do you notice here that the word suffering is not in that verse of Scripture anywhere? What, the, what is there is temptation. And what Jesus is talking about is he will, we will not be tempted, but we want what we can bear. So it's kind of interesting that uh, Paul was not talking about suffering here. Be nice if he was, but he wasn't. He was talking about being tempted. And with temptation, we always have a choice, but with suffering... We oftentimes don't have a choice. So let me just say up front that God may very well give you more suffering than you personally can handle. And that's why we need God. That's why we need Him in our life. So I don't know if you're going to correct people when they say that, but it's kind of a, a mistake that we all make very often. And so in the book of Colossians, we're going to be looking today at suffering. And we're in Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. We're going to be reading sporadically through that into chapter 2, verse 5. And Paul is talking about suffering, but at the same time, Paul is suffering a lot. He's in a season of suffering. And if you were to look at his life and kind of track it, he had a lot of suffering in his life through the years. He's been rejected by all of his old friends once he became a Christian. Rejection is a form of suffering, isn't it? He's also been followed around by a pack of uh, hecklers and people who are mocking him and harassing him. You know, it's hard enough to speak publicly, but if you got somebody in the back that's always jabbing and undermining you and mocking and yelling out, that would be even more difficult. Please don't start that. That wouldn't be much fun, all right? Uh, he's been stoned and left for dead. I mean, that I would call that suffering pretty much. He's been shipwrecked a couple of times. I always wondered why he was shipwrecked. Is that because he was a Christian? Well, it was because he was a traveler in that day. It was dangerous. They didn't have the kind of ships we have. When you traveled, it was risky to travel. And he traveled for the gospel, but he, he went through a lot of problems in his travel. He's also been in prison multiple times. He's once again in prison. Remember when he writes his book of Colossians, he's in a prison cell in Rome, writing to the church and to us. 
So he knows a lot about suffering. So when it comes to being able to say, let me tell you what it means to suffer and what you do when you're suffering, I think that Paul is pretty qualified to tell us how to deal with it in our own lives. And so let's jump into it and see what it has to say. We're going to talk about some things to do when you are suffering, whatever it may be, whatever your suffering may mean to you, and whatever's caused it, I think this will help. So let's read together, Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my body, or flesh, what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction, for the sake of his body, which is the church. So the first thing we learned that when we are suffering, we need to use our suffering to become like Jesus. Use our suffering to become like Jesus. And, And what Paul says, first of all, he says, I'm rejoicing in my suffering. And when I read that, I'm thinking, who does that? You know, we all got to go through it, but nobody's going, man, I love me some suffering. I wish I had some more suffering. I mean, we're just not geared like that. I'm not anyway. I I don't want to suffer if I could had a choice. So uh, nobody wants to suffer, but Paul's going to tell us why we can rejoice in spite of our sufferings here in a few moments. But let's first of all agree that it's difficult to have a good attitude when you're going through some suffering. And that's hard to understand. But you know what? If that's not difficult to understand, then what he says in that verse is even more so because Paul says, what I am doing, I am filling up what Christ is lacking. Silence. I'm filling up what Christ is lacking. What does that mean? Well, it's interesting. This, this is the one of the few scriptures in the Bible that nobody knows what it means. So if you're like, I don't know what it means, I don't know what it means either. So don't feel too awful bad. Nobody knows. I mean, commentators, they're like, they kind of skip over this. We'll talk about it later, but they never get back to it because nobody knows what he's talking about. There's nothing lacking in Jesus because Jesus was all, is all, always going to be all. He paid it all and he did it all. He said, "It's, it's finished. So there's nothing lacking in Jesus. So we're not sure what he's talking about here. So what do we do with scriptures like this? When we come to it, we go, I don't know what that means. And No commentator gives me a good explanation of that. What do you do with something you don't understand? Well, there's a simple principle to use or to follow whenever you find something you you can't comprehend the Bible. And that is you take the parts of the Bible that are unclear and you interpret them with those that are clear. Because we don't know everything on this side, but there are some things we know for sure, for example. So when you hear something that you don't understand, say, well, what do I know about Jesus? Now, here's an example. When you hear something bad about me, and you will, I'm sure you will. It might even be true. But when you hear that, would you, well, I hope you'll view that in light of what you know about me first. And I hope that you'll believe the best instead of assuming the worst. So I don't want you, when you read scripture like this, go, oh, man, there must be something lacking in Jesus, and maybe I need to look somewhere else. That's not what you need to do. You need to believe the best, not assume the worst. You know what assuming does, right? So you interpret the unclear or the confusing in the Bible in light of what you know to be true. And so in asking the question, what what does he mean by what's lacking in Jesus? We start with who we know Jesus to be. He is perfect. He is complete. The only son of God. He lacks nothing. And so I'll be honest and tell you, I don't know what to say. I don't have any idea what he means here. However, Paul can be a little difficult to understand. If you don't understand Paul, that's all right. Because Peter, who was a contemporary, he wrote this about Paul. I think this is a little bit funny. Second Peter chapter 3, he's talking about Paul. He said, he writes the same way in all of his letters, speaking of them, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand. 
which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do other scriptures to their own destruction. I thought that's interesting. Peter's like, ah, Paul, he's brilliant. I don't know what he's talking about half the time, you know, but, but he's great. He knows what he's doing there. But he said, don't be ignorant and unstable and distort what he says, especially about Jesus. All right. So we're going to leave that right there. But what we do know about Jesus, it's okay to under, not understand it. But what we have to do is we have to trust in Jesus and know that there's nothing lacking in him. And know also when it comes to suffering that he cares for you and he feels the pain when you suffer. Amen. That Jesus cares for you and he feels the pain himself when you suffer. Let me give you an example. Acts chapter 9. The apostle Paul at this time is still Saul. He's the enemy of Jesus. And he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus because he's going to Damascus to persecute more Christians. And Jesus reveals himself to Saul and he says to him, Saul, why do you persecute me? Isn't that interesting? I always thought that was kind of interesting. Jesus, why are you persecuting me, Saul? And and Saul's like, I don't know who you are exactly. He figured it out. But he was arresting, imprisoning, and killing Christians. But Jesus felt the pain. Jesus felt the pain when they were suffering. So when you suffer, understand that Jesus hurts. He hurts for you. Identify with you. He identifies, uh, he identifies with you. Identify with him. You know, it's kind of like a parent, I think. When your child is hurting, you're hurting. You know, whatever it might be, you just feel that. You would love to lift that, to absorb that. You're hurting, not as much as them maybe, but you feel the pain as well. And guys, here's the thing. Every one of us suffer And some of us are going to suffer worse than others, there is no doubt. But everybody suffers in some way. You can't avoid that. But the question is, what do you do with it when suffering comes? And the answer is you receive it as a normal part of the Christian life. And also, in some ways, a normal part of being a human being, we're going to suffer. But if you are a Christian, we have a different way to try to absorb that and try to view that. And in fact, we may even suffer more specifically because we are Christians. The Bible talks a lot about suffering. It's very realistic about it. It doesn't give us this idea, oh, you'll never suffer. It's very realistic and tells us we will. In fact, there are many different kinds of suffering described in the Bible. I didn't have any idea there were this many, but uh, we can find 13 different types of suffering. Now, that's a lot. I'm going to tell you what they are, and so you'll kind of recognize why you suffer sometimes. That's a lot of suffering, a lot of reasons. Let me give you 13 reasons. You don't have to write them down if you don't want to, but just absorb them. First of all, we suffer sometimes because as a result of Adam's sin and living in a fallen world. I think much of our sin just comes, of our suffering just comes because sin is everywhere. And it's a fallen world, fallen people, and we we suffer because of that. There's also demonic suffering. There's oppression, what we call spiritual warfare, when you're the target specifically of some demonic attack. I believe that's very, very real. There's also victim suffering. Ever been a victim? You're the innocent person. You're just standing there and suddenly you're caught up into it. Somebody mistreats you or whatever it might be. You're just innocent in this case. There's also collective suffering. Sometimes we suffer because we're part of a group that's suffering. You know, there are Christians in other parts of the world and they're suffering persecution, not because they did anything wrong, but specifically because they are Christians. There's also disciplinary suffering that God wants to correct you. Ever done something wrong and sense that God was making your life a little difficult because he wants to turn you around. I think the Bible says even though punishment is not pleasant at the time, it's worth it because the the option uh, to not being disciplined may may be separation from God. There's also persecution suffering, and that is suffering specifically because you love the Lord. 
There's empathetic suffering. You suffer with others. You grieve with others when they are grieving. There's testimonial suffering and that God wants you to suffer as part of your witness. Probably all of us have been there. And we can think of times that now we look back and say, I suffered, but this is what God did in the middle of it. My testimony is stronger and better. There's also providential suffering. And that is that God has a picture bigger than you in mind, and God is allowing you to suffer so that his will would be done. And we don't understand that now. We may never know it on this side of the earth, and in heaven it won't matter, but it's providential is what God's doing. And then there's mysterious suffering. This is my favorite kind. You don't know, and you never will know what it is. Some things happen we just can't find a purpose in, you know? Mysterious suffering. And then there's consequential suffering. That means this is the natural result of your actions. You're self-inflicted. You don't take care of your body, and then your body, you know, gets ill and unhealthy, and you're like, what happened? And it's basically the consequences of the life you live. And then the last one is apocalyptic suffering. And this is, the Bible says, at the end of time, there will be a season of suffering that will come, especially to believers. So, you know, if you wonder sometimes, why am I suffering? Because there's a lot of reasons, a lot of different sources that that could come from. And sometimes it's our own fault. Sometimes it's the fault of others. And maybe in some cases, God is allowing specifically this to happen for a purpose. But it's important to remember that whenever you suffer, that your suffering should not define you. It should not define you because you know what happens to some people is we get this victim mentality of our suffering and we become pathetic about it. I know this firsthand so I can speak on it because I'm not a very good sufferer to be honest with you. I could do a lot better when I go through it. Uh, And there had been a time or two in my life when I suffered and I was a real wimp. I mean, I, I was like questioning God and throwing up the old minister card and everything else, you know, trying to figure out what God was doing. We can be a victim many times in our suffering. But our goal is not to complain and not to become a victim, but to give God the glory and turn it to him and recognize that he's still involved in it. You know, we oftentimes ask God, why? God, why am I suffering here? We want to put Jesus on trial, first of all, to determine why he didn't protect us. And secondly, why he doesn't stop it or end it. But in reality, we have no right to try Jesus over this and we shouldn't even ask why. What we ought to ask is how. When we're going through our suffering, we ask how. How can I learn and grow in this? How can I experience Jesus in a deeper way? How can I become more like Christ in his suffering? And what can I do to get through this? And what do I need to change in my life to get get back into the flow of God's plan for my life? But through all of this, let me remind you that God never wastes a hurt. I believe that with all my heart. Whatever it may be that we go through, God always wants us to learn from that and at some point use that for somebody else. He always had a plan. He always has a job for everything that we have to experience, including suffering. You know, I like what Greg Lowry, he's an evangelist. He says that suffering is a lot like exercising. We don't want to do it, but when we do, there are some great benefits that come from it. You know, nobody wants to go through it. Maybe a little worse than exercising, but I don't know, some of us. But whenever you suffer, use it, first of all, to become like Jesus. Secondly, when you suffer, focus on Jesus and focus on others. Focus on Jesus and focus on others. Let's go on, verse 25. I have become, Paul says, it's, that is the church's servant, by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that's been kept hidden for ages and generations 
but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So Paul says, yeah, I'm going through a lot of suffering, but I'm doing it for the church. I've become a servant of the church. Instead of choosing to focus on his suffering, Paul chooses to focus on Jesus and Jesus' church. And he has a very special focus here on the Gentile church as well, or the unchurched of that day. And he talks here about the mystery. A lot of people wonder, what is the mystery? Well, the mystery he's mentioning here is that Jesus had opened up the kingdom of God, not just to the Jews, but also to those uh, unchosen people, the Gentiles, that basically now considered everybody else in the world. And so he says, now that Jesus is Christ in you, he's for everyone. You know, I don't think a lot of us have this grip because we know that the gospel should be preached everywhere, regardless of nationality, regardless of socioeconomic status or anything else. Every nation should hear the gospel of Jesus and everyone can be open. But there was a time uh, that that wasn't true, that coming to God was exclusively for a few people and everybody else was just pretty much out of luck. You know, the Jews were the winners, the, everyone else were basically the losers. Now, you know, when, when people suffer, winners have the winner mentality that says, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. That's if you're a winner. If you're a loser and you know it, there's no hope. And for so many years, people just hopeless, you know, we just got to struggle and we still don't win. Now, today we understand that we can't win all the time, but we know that in Christ we can win and we can worship him. And that's so important. Jesus came to give losers hope. And thankfully that you and I, because most of us are losers, we have hope through Jesus Christ. So whether you're winning or you're losing, always keep your focus on Jesus. Because Jesus resets our identity. We cannot get lost of who we are in Christ when we are suffering. And that's easy to do. As that becomes who we are, suffering can become our identity. Our pain can become our identity. Our brokenness, our shame, our poverty our divorce, our abandonment, our addiction, all those things literally can be all, they're all suffering to different extents, but they're not our identity. They're not who we are. And we have to rise above that. You know, every Monday night we have a ministry here called Celebrate Recovery. And Celebrate Recovery teaches us that we're not our addiction. We are not our hurt. We're not our habit. We're not our hang up that we are a child of God and we find our identity in Christ and through his strength, in his strength alone, we can overcome whatever our suffering, whatever our challenge, whatever our addiction or struggle may be. Paul goes on to say that this is all about Christ who is in us. And the last part of that verse, Christ in us, the hope of glory. And let me just tell you, if you're going through a time of suffering or if you do, there will be relief at some point because some suffering seems to be endless. But all suffering has an end. Maybe not on this earth. Can't promise you when, but there is relief waiting on the other side for sure with Jesus. And hopefully it will end before then, but we don't know. But never let suffering become your identity or your eternity. As a child of God, we do not have suffering in our eternity. As an unbeliever, suffering, that's what eternity will be. But in Christ, we will not suffer into heaven. But if you focus on it, you can develop this victim mentality I spoke of, and the more miserable you become. On the other hand, you focus on Jesus, 
You focus on others and you will find strength and distraction from your suffering. Have you ever been hurting or something or a child's hurting and you try to distract them because you know if they get involved in doing something, they won't think about themselves as much? That really is true. You know, when you think you've got it bad, you look for somebody else a little bit worse and soon you'll realize that maybe your suffering isn't as bad as you thought. We look on up to others and we look to Jesus. And I think that is what enabled Paul to have a good attitude, even in prison. I mean, he could have sat there and moaned and groaned about all the work he wasn't getting done, but instead he chose to focus on Jesus, first of all, and other people. And like we said a couple of weeks ago, he spent much of his time in prayer for them. And now he's writing a letter to them that we have today. And he was concerned about the church. That will help you as well. Thirdly, when you're suffering, share what you're learning. Share what you're learning with other people. Instead of focusing on his current condition, Paul says, I'm going to teach the church at Colossae and about us and us today about suffering. Here, let's pick up in verse 28. He that is Christ is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. You know, Paul was a minister of the gospel, and, and that was not a, go- a job, it was a lifestyle. And truth be known, it is a lifestyle for every Christian. Even though you're not in career ministry like some of us may be, you are a minister of the gospel. Amen. And Paul said, because I'm a minister, this is how I choose to live my life, and I want to live it teaching and living for Jesus and setting an example. And, and yeah, it had gotten him in prison, but he found a way even there to share what God was teaching him. And so he says, through proclamation, through admonishing and teaching, he says, I'm going to communicate what I'm learning. What I'm learning today is what I'm going to share with you in this letter. And that's what we have today. We're 2,000 years later. We're reading about it. We're being encouraged because of what Paul went through himself. Let me ask you this. Would Paul's ministry have been the same without his suffering? Probably not. Probably not. Still be powerful, but, but when we see what Paul went through... I mean, we're just impressed that he remained faithful to God, but also had that kind of testimony. It's it's an inspiration to us today. Think about Jesus' suffering, what he went through. Would we be here today if Jesus had not suffered? No, we wouldn't. Whenever you suffer, it needs to be shared, the purpose, as well as the the ministry and the outcome as well. A.W. Tozer said, for God to use you mightily, he must wound you deeply. For God to use you mightily, he must wound you deeply. I have a minister friend. I, I, I just met him this week. Haven't met him yet. Met him on the phone. I'm going to meet him tomorrow. Uh, but my friend has, uh, he's been in ministry. He's retiring, I think, within the next few months. And when he retires, he's going to start a new church, which I think is awesome. But this is a church that's going to minister to, to families of disabled people. Because he talked about the fact that those who are disabled oftentimes can't find a place of acceptance or a place of comfort uh, where they're comfortable in worshiping. And so his, his ministry in retirement is going to be to start a church for disabled people, which I, I think is, is great, and their families. A little bit different. We may uh, be, be involved in that in some way, possibly. But, you know, the reason he's doing that is because he has a, a granddaughter uh, with severe autism who does not have uh, a church of their own to worship in. That pain, that suffering of that family is driving him to reach out to minister to others. It's a perfect example of that. I was reading this morning, uh, uh, someone had posted this, that I'm thankful for my struggle because without it, I would not have stumbled across my strength. I think that's pretty good, isn't it? 
and we find our strength in Jesus Christ. Our greatest ministry often comes from, oftentimes comes from our deepest pain. And whenever we suffer, we also earn the right to speak into the lives of other people. When I see people who are struggling, I want to know what they're thinking and how they're getting through it. And I, I, I think that's, that becomes our ministry as well. You know, I, I've admitted several times that counseling is not my favorite thing to do. Um, it really isn't. I'm, I'm just not that good at it. I will humbly say that I have a lot of common sense and I can tell you to stop doing what's hurting you. Uh, I can usually identify that and tell you to stop. But beyond that, I don't know. I'm not sure to tell you how to, how to do that, all right? Except through the power of Jesus. But if I really want to help you, I'm going to point you to somebody who has had the same issue and overcome it. That's where you're going to get the best counsel, better than a professional, someone who has Jesus in their life, who's overcome their struggle. They're going to be able to help you with yours as well. I believe that's how God's equipped us. And that's why I say God never wastes the hurt in our life. God always wants to use our hurts to help other people and teach them what you are learning as you suffer. You see, our goal is not going to always be perfection on this earth. That's what we're shooting for. But our real goal is progress. We want lifetime and lifelong progress in this journey. And it takes one another to help us get there. And then fourthly, when you suffer, start with Jesus, stay with Jesus, and end with Jesus. You know, I told you a few weeks ago that this, this letter is all about Jesus. It really is. That's why we're calling it a big Jesus. Uh, Paul is just hammering this thing with Jesus in them, which is the best thing to talk about. But Paul says here, I don't really have a, my own agenda. You notice here that Paul doesn't say, hey, could you guys scrape together some money and send it over here for me to hire a good lawyer to get me out of here? You know, he doesn't say that. Um, what he says is this is all about Jesus. I'm not trying to raise money uh, for me or anybody. It's all about Jesus and the church. And so here's what he says. We'll pick up and finish out this, the rest of the scripture. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea, which is a neighboring church there nearby, and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments, for though I am absent from you in body, I'm present with you in spirit, and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. You know, no matter what Paul was experiencing, what I love is that Paul never got off message. He never got off message. He never got to feeling sorry for himself, never got, you know, chasing a rabbit somewhere. It was always about Jesus. He always came back. And throughout his writings, he intended that through Jesus, they would have encouragement. He says, complete understanding, wisdom, knowledge, discernment, and discipline. And you know what? We need those type of things when we suffer, don't we? We need to be able to look beyond the moment of, of what am I dealing with right now so that we actually can see Jesus in that. We can't lose sight of him because only Jesus can really minister to us whenever we're going through these times. You know, when Jesus was in the garden right before his arrest and crucifixion, he went through a lot of suffering. And the Bible explains in detail that he suffered like sweats of, sweat of drops of blood was falling off of his, his, his brow. And um, he could foresee what was coming. And he admitted that he was overwhelmed. He admitted that. 
I think what these verses teach us is that it's, it's okay to admit sometimes that we can't handle the suffering. That maybe God is laying more on us than what we can personally handle. And that's why he's available to us to carry us through that. We can cry out like Jesus did, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. And when we do this, we find that God, our Father, and Jesus, our Lord, the one who in the person of Christ has already suffered, is suffering with us. And we become aware that this life will give us probably more than we can handle. And when we admit that, we find a promise. And that is that God will meet us in the mess. He will meet us in the pain, in the suffering. He will meet us there, and he will be enough. He will be enough. And I hope that maybe some of the things we talked about this morning have been encouraging to you. If you're going through a tough time, we would love to pray with you and for you through that. If you uh, may be in the future, maybe things are great now. Again, there are people among us we know for various reasons are struggling. Let's pray for them. And know that if we ourselves and when we ourselves do struggle, that there's a God who cares. Amen. He has not abandoned us. He is still in, on his place. He's still on his throne. He always will be. Amen. And we use that for the glory of Jesus. We're going to go right now into a time of communion. And I, I love this because this connects so closely. And that is in our time of communion, the Lord's Supper, we see the suffering of Jesus. We see the only way that we can have eternal life was through the path of suffering that Jesus chose for us. Many of us, none of us would choose to suffer intentionally, but Jesus did. And the way that we can have eternal life is because he absorbed that punishment for us with his death on the cross. Not only his death, but the mockery, the abuse, the shame he suffered, all of those things voluntarily suffering for you and I, and now we get a chance to acknowledge that and to even celebrate that because of what it means for us. The Bible says that whenever we protect that we should examine ourselves. We know that we're not worthy, but we know that we have a Lord who makes us so, who views us so through Jesus Christ because of his suffering. And so we invite you this morning to join us in this time. If you are a believer, we welcome you to come and share with us. We come forward to the tables and circle back uh, to our seats. And we invite you to come and do that. If you're not, in, not willing or able to get up and come forward, just raise your hand and one of our deacons will, will serve you where you are. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, this morning. God, thank you for your teaching, for your word about suffering. Lord, we know that we suffer to different extents in our life and there's a lot of reasons that we do. Sometimes we bring it on ourselves. Lord, I pray that if that's the case, that you would give us the power and the strength to resist. Lord, if it's some other purpose, or maybe it's your purpose, Lord, we pray for your strength to endure. God, we ask that you would carry us through this time. God, you would be there for us and that we would acknowledge you. And Lord, just now as we take, come to this time of communion and we step forward in response to your love by taking the cup and the, and the, uh, the bread, Lord, that you would bless it. God, truly that we would recognize it as symbols of your body and blood that was broken shed for us and father through the partaking that we would see you help us to examine ourselves find ourselves to be faithful god thank you for this your love and for this time i pray in christ's name amen